Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Pastor Joel Schmidgall. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. In 1891, uh, this building, the Navy Yard Car Barn, uh, it was built to hold streetcars. That was the way that residents in the District of Columbia would make it throughout the city. It was the primary transportation at the city at that point. And so when God gave us this building, we actually asked that God would help us to restore the original vision of the house. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean this, that, that those cars, their purpose was to take people around the city towards their purpose. And when they would go out, they would get beat up, they would get used up, they would get bruised up, and then they would come back to this place right here, and they would be built up. They would be healed up. They would be worked on to what? To be sent back out. Come on, somebody. God restore the original vision of this house. I know some people in this house that have been a little bit beat up by our city. You've gone out and you've been used up in this city. And so we pray that when you come to this house, there would be a renewal of life in you. That maybe God would just do a little bit of healing work and bring you to a place of wholeness as you enter this house. And so when we think about when God gave us this building, we didn't tear it down. We didn't cover it up like the previous owner did. In fact, when you look around the theater, you see that these, these old kind of beat up columns, right? And so instead of covering them up, you know what we did? We opened them up, we shined a light on them, and we brought complete attention to those columns. Why? Because we believe that bruises and hurts from our past do not hold us down, but maybe actually God desires to use those as a showcase for his glory for future purposes. This place, it tells a story. And that story is a story of redemption. We close our Welcome Home series today, and what we've been doing is we've been talking about who we are as a church. And so we've talked about how we are, we're a place of prayer. We're a place of belonging. We are a place of miracles. We are a place of dreams. But today, I want to talk about we are a place of redemption. This house, our locations, are filled with stories of redemption. I think about Jonathan Tate and when he was younger and he talks about how he used to hang out here on 7th Street. And he didn't hang out here waiting for church though. (laughs) He hung out with the wrong people at the wrong times, doing the wrong things. And this place represented something different. It represented bad beats and wrong decisions. And years later, he ended up coming to church at the Miracle Theater. And, um, and he went, he's got a story. He went through some stuff. And his dad uh, passed of a heart attack and uh, was a firefighter and tough loss for Jonathan. But God has brought him through. And when we announced that we're coming from the Miracle over to here, he said, man, I got a story to tell. The enemy used to use that place to try to bring me down, but now it's a place that will build me up in the kingdom of God. And here's, here's what has happened. You heard it if you were at Innovate. You heard some of his story. He started food on the stove. 
And so what he does is they provide healthy meals for the men and women who serve the DMV uh, through as firefighters because it's one of the worst diets in any profession. And so he comes in and he is being solution now. Isn't that awesome? He is a story of redemption. There are stories of redemption. You know what the scripture says in Psalm 107? It says, let the redeemed tell their story. I like the KJV. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I wonder if there's somebody in the house today that you got a testimony. I wonder if there's somebody in the house today that has been redeemed. And maybe if that's you, just give me a little talk back with an amen today. God has redeemed us as a people. We have something to say. Redeem, verb, to free from captivity, to extricate from or help to overcome something detrimental, to release from blame or debt, clear, to free from the consequences of sin, to change for the better. If you had to finish this sentence, God has redeemed me from blank. What would that be? How would you fill that in? I asked a a cross-section of NCCers at at Nova and Lincoln and online and here at Turnaround. I asked them this question and just just hear a few testimonies. Testimony, God has redeemed me from perfectionism. Testimony, God has redeemed me from pride and unforgiveness. Testimony, God has redeemed me from generational alcoholism and poverty. He's redeemed me from chaos and immature selfish ways. He's redeemed me from a life of fear and uncertainty, from lust of my flesh, from my own devices, apathy to love, greed, self-dependence. He has redeemed me. God has redeemed me to love again. God has redeemed me to gratitude. He's redeemed me to peace, patience, grace, wisdom. God has redeemed me to freedom. Let me just give one longer one. Before my journey with the Lord, my life was filled with self-inflicted misdirection and indulgence. The result was an unfulfilling life which led to pain and suffering. Opening my life to the Lord God instantaneously filled me with hope, love of myself, love of others, a purpose to live, and his abundance and sharing his love with others. That is a redemption story for sure. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are a house of redemption. But let's be honest, for some of us in this place, we hear that statement and we don't know how to end it. We don't know what goes into that blank. In fact, not only do we not know how to answer that question, we have some different questions that come to mind. And maybe we answer a question of, I am in bondage to blank. Or I am failing in blank. And so we walk around with this, with this weight on our backs and we walk around almost like our feet are trying to trudge through mud and we go through life trying to just ignore those things while deep within our heart it's eating away at us. And it's almost like indigestion of the soul. That's how the woman in our text today feels like. John chapter 4. She's doing everything she can to just build a wall around her. But Jesus has different plans. John chapter 4 is our text. We're going to take it in sections today. We're going to start at verse 4, and I'm going to read it for us. Now he, 
Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The rift between Jews and Samaritans went so deep. And we've talked about this before, that, that if a Jew was going from Galilee to Judea, the natural route would be to go through Samaria right here. But instead of going through Samaria, the common route was to go around Samaria so you could skip the interactions with the Samaritans to get down to Judea. And so here's what they would do. Jesus says, he says he had to go through Samaria. Now, that wasn't a, a Google Maps had to, right? Like the normal, the, the Israelite Google Maps would have taken you around. This way would be the red line, right? From yellow to red, because there's an accident that has happened. There's a fight that has happened there. You're going to get caught up. You're going to take this route, and it looks longer, but it's going to be shorter. And you're gonna, you can save nine minutes right now by going this way, right? So it's not a Google Maps had to. This is not a geographic had to. This is a missional had to. Jesus had business to do down in Samaria. He had some hearts to redeem down in Samaria. In this story of redemption, Jesus breaks down barriers. This moment right here that we come to, it's a moment of of triple shock. Jesus breaks down three different barriers in one moment, in one conversation. First, he breaks down the gender barrier. So in, uh, in ancient Middle East culture, a man wouldn't approach a woman in public and have this conversation. Jesus just rams right through that barrier and engages in conversation. Number two, he breaks down a religious barrier. Jews would not be able to drink from a Samaritan's cup. Because Samaritans had cut from religious and custom uh, tradition, and so it would make a Jew unclean. And so Jesus, in this moment, he's not just engaging in a conversation, oh, that's nice. No, he's actually defiling himself to break through this barrier to have this interaction, this conversation. Number three, he breaks down ethnic barriers. So Jesus comes and, and there's this great rift. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans don't talk to Jews because, there's this, because they have broken from all these customs and they're kind of breaking down, if you will, the, the religion of the Jews. And so they wouldn't have interaction. There was a deep rift. And so this was not just an individual beef, right? This wasn't just a family beef. This was, this was like a my people beef with your people type thing. So for Jesus to break through this barrier, it wasn't just about him uh, breaking through his own stuff. No, this was him entering people, uh, a conversation with people. He might get in trouble with those people, but guess what? He might also get in trouble with his own people. You know what I'm talking about today? And, and maybe I wonder if some of us with our own people, and, and there, there's a little bit of a divide for us to go and talk to somebody else we're not just thinking about how it would be hard to enter those people who disagree with us. We're also thinking about the judgment that might come behind us. Listen, this is off notes right here. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody today. 
We're worried about the people that will look judgmentally on us, so I'm not going to go over there and engage with those people. Jesus breaks through a barrier, all these barriers, and he will not let gender, racism, sin, he won't let any of these barriers stop customs from leaning in. Listen, we think we're the only ones that live in cancel culture right now. And listen, it's strong, isn't it? But listen, Jesus was in a tough place to break through these barriers. And, and Jesus, he loved radically, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Jesus held people, he called people to a high standard of righteousness. Jesus, he forgave radically. And so he breaks through these things. And what happens to Jesus? He gets canceled. I don't mean like canceled, like not having a voice. I mean his life was canceled. Why? Because he saw the value in this woman and believed in the potential of redemption in her life. Listen, Jesus goes to the cross. Why? Because he sees potential in you. He sees redemption in your story. Don't waste Jesus' sacrifice. Don't waste him going to the cross because he believes in you enough that he gave his life for you and for me. He stepped out so that we might find redemption. And a story of redemption, Jesus breaks down barriers to get to us. Second, his story is prophecy. So in the story, do you remember where Jesus met the woman in the well? Remember the spot that it was called? It was called Jacob's Well, right? And so this, this takes us back. It's a reference back a couple thousands of years to Jacob. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob. And he had gotten a rift with his brother because he had stolen his, his older brother Esau. He had stolen his birthright. And so this is a huge deal. Esau is ticked. He fears for his life. He goes running. And there's a moment, Genesis chapter 32, where there, a confrontation is going to happen. And so um, Jacob is alone, and he's, he's seeking God. And the Lord shows up, and he wrestles. The scriptures say he wrestles with God all night. And he's worn down. He's tired. In fact, his hip gets popped out of his socket. But he holds on. He resolves with the Lord until he gets a blessing. Then the next day, Esau and 400 of his men are coming against Jacob. This is not good. He's in trouble. And they come together and they embrace instead of fighting. And they begin to weep. And reconciliation happens in this moment. And look what the Lord does. Redemption. This is the exact place where Jesus meets the woman at the well. They literally stand on soil of redemption. They stand on a story of redemption that came before them. And here is where they find themselves. Most of us allow history to limit our future instead of allowing his story to open up potential of our future reach. The enemy comes against us, as he said, your history that's going to hold you down from reaching any sort of destiny. But we've got to halt that and come before God and understand that his story is one of ultimate faithfulness. That his story is one of, of relentless love. His story is a story of power coming and entering into our lives to change us, to make us, do, uh, make us new. His story of grace 
It's a prophetic utterance that echoes and bounces throughout this place and throughout the recesses of our heart to take us to a place of reaching our God-given potential. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God has redemption in mind for us. Ruth Oosterman is a Canadian artist. She's a mother who collaborates with her children in art. She takes her toddler's art and she doesn't change it. She doesn't erase it. She does the opposite. She takes the little works and she takes every stroke that they have made and that they have penned and she transforms elementary art into a work of wonder and a work of beauty. I look back and I see my history and I see a bunch of scribbles. You know what I mean? Anybody else? I make no sense of that. I don't know what I was doing. I was maybe an idiot right there. And I, you know, you look back and it's just a big jumbled mess. That's my history. And I don't know what can be made of that. And I bring that to God and, and I talk with God and God says, hold on a minute, right? Hold I see it. Hold on, I see something. Hey, could we collaborate? What if we get together on this thing? What if we come together? Because I got an idea. And let me just do, let me just do this. And, and he starts to take what I see as nothing and jumbleness and chaos. And he begins to add color to it, right? And he begins to connect dots and see lines that I never thought could come about from my history. And he takes that and, and then he says something. This is going to be beautiful. He says this. I know what I'm going to call this piece. I'm going to call it redemption. That's this work. Ephesians 2.10. You are my workmanship. We are God's poem. We are God's work of art. He has in mind what we could never see with our own eyes. Jesus breaks down every barrier to get to us. And his story is prophecy. Number three, Jesus offers life. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's kind of being a little sarcastic, right? I feel like she's, you know, going with it, but like trying to call him out at the same time. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus alludes to a spring of water. He calls it living water, yet so many of us continue to drink dead water, don't we? What's dead water? Dead water, it's having that argument that you've had a thousand times, right? Dead water, it's continuing to lean in and feed that little habit. That habit that it's not that big a deal, but we know if we keep feeding that habit, that habit's gonna take us down. Dead water, it's it's giving in to a a sense of cultural identity instead of a sense of kingdom identity. Dead water is living in selfishness. It's living for me instead of living for others and living for God's purposes. Dead water is taking all our margin time and it's just binge watching Netflix. That's what dead water is, right? 
Dead water is, is taking what God has given and the gifts that we have and just putting them aside. That's dead water. And dead water is pursuing our own wants and own needs and own desires. Dead water leaves us unsatisfied, doesn't it? And Jesus comes to us and he says, I have a spring of life. I have living water for you. And living water, it's this phrase in the scripture referring to flowing water from a, re, uh, excuse me, a stream or a river instead of that stagnant water in a pond. It, it's, it's life and it's power and it's movement. Yeah. This is the living water that Jesus is referring to. He's, he's not saying that we have to be superhuman. He's saying that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what he talks about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You are to be born again. You're to be born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in us, and what does he do? He, he does things that we can't do for ourselves. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us better than anybody else, does he? He makes us better than ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit within us that is the difference maker. Nothing else. We're not better. We are humbled when we come before God, are we not? We should find ourselves in humility. But the, it's the Holy Spirit that is the difference maker within us. We don't move mountains. We don't allow seed to sprout up in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And so I've got good news. If you've never put your faith in Christ before, Jesus says, come. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I've got news for you. Jesus says, I have living water. You can receive of this living water and you can be made new. You can be filled and all things are made new when you come into me. I make things right. We can come to the Lord and receive of him. Know this, receiving is not just the destination though, it's an action. It's not just done in a moment and it's all over, right? The scriptures say that God's mercies are new every morning. Well, yeah, I, I received his mercies a couple months ago. The summer is so great. Well, guess what? His mercies are new today. There's a new batch for today. So go ahead and get that. Receiving is not just a destination. It's an action to continually be taken. In the book of Acts, they're filled with the Spirit. But what do they do? It says that they are refilled with the Spirit. Over and over we come and we are continually filled with the Spirit. Why? Because life is hard. But the Spirit enables us and then he empowers us. Jesus offers life. Jesus confronts our past. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. Woof. Can you imagine the shock in this moment? The embarrassment she has to feel, right? In this moment, getting called. She's got to be thinking like, how do you know that? And what are you going to do with that information? What are all these emotions kind of coursing through her? In verse 6, the scripture says that she came at midday. Did you notice that? Why does it even share that fact? 
because midday was an odd day to come to, excuse me, an odd time to come to the well. You would come either in the morning or at night because it was cool at those moments. Also, when you would come in those times, others would come at the same time because the well could be a dangerous place with thieves and others coming against you. So you'd come with other people. It was a social moment in your day. So for her to come in midday, it's an odd thing. It's a weird thing. It's a dangerous thing. But that's what happens when condemnation, when you're living in condemnation, it leads to isolation, doesn't it? So she's isolated in this moment and she's responding out of that. And so why does Jesus bring up the very hurt that has driven her to isolation? Why would he bring this up and put her in this place? Because you have to face issues to get free of issues. Redemption doesn't come by accident. It comes with a confrontation with Christ. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Jesus bring convic- brings conviction in this moment. Listen, conviction is from the Lord. Condemnation is from the enemy. Yes. Romans chapter eight says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then John chapter 16, it says, the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts of sin. Condemnation paralyzes us in guilt and leads to inaction, right? But conviction It does the opposite. It catalyzes in us motivation and it leads us towards action. So Jesus is bringing, he's bringing conviction in a hard way in this moment right here. The woman at the well, she's living with unaddressed pain. And so she's building bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision. It's kind of like that gambler who sits at the table and he's on full tilt making bad decisions. He's leveraged everything he has. He has no credit left. I just, come on, I, I need some help. I, need, I just need to get where I was before this last bad beat. I just, come on, I need, and he's on tilt, and he's just bad decision upon bad decision. And a lot of us, we mask our hurts, don't we? And we mask them with, with alcohol abuse, or we mask them with, with drug abuse, or we mask them with overeating or, or sexual addiction or the approval of others, and we find different ways to mask them. In this scripture, this woman is masking her pain with marriage. Yeah. I'm just gonna get married, and you get that euphoric feeling, and then it starts to go bad, and then you go again, and you get married. And, and here's the thing. Marriage is a, it's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a God thing, and it's a gift from God. I thank God for marriage, but we have to dispel the lie that wholeness comes through marriage. Whether you're single or whether you're married, wholeness only comes in Christ. It's him who makes us whole. So what pain from your past has gone unaddressed? What is lying underneath the surface that you're always aware of but never dealing with? those pains that drive us back to addiction, they power resentment in us, right? They keep us from moving forward. They crush our spirit. They keep us out of authentic relationship. Can I encourage you today to allow Jesus to enter your story? And when you do, you know what he does? He brings purpose through your pain as opposed to reading this next portion of the scripture, I wanna show it. And we're gonna, I pulled a clip from, from the show Chosen. And it's not 
It's not perfectly exactly how this looks like in the scripture, but I feel like it does such a great job of capturing the heart and the spirit of this next portion of the scripture. Check this out. Where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. believe what I'm telling you. Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> hey, wait. Your water. You forgot your um.
Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> the woman is living in the land of shame. And Jesus breaks through the barriers, doesn't he? He breaks through barriers of sin and gender barriers and racism barriers and custom barriers. And he breaks through all these barriers. And in a moment, she drinks of living water. And she drops her jars. She lets go of them. Why? Because she's not thirsty anymore. She finds satisfaction in Christ. And so she lets go and she just begins to run and thank God. And God does something. And, and here's what's crazy. The facts are all the same still. Her history, it's all the same. Nothing has changed. But everything has changed. Because the outside still looks the same. But God works from the inside out. He changes us from within and he touches this woman and she's completely made new. God doesn't just come and give you a shine on the outside. He doesn't just clean you on the outside and make you look good. No, he works internally and he takes everything from within. And, and he saw in that woman that day came, she came to the well with shame and hurt and condemnation. But guess what? Jesus says, I'm not just going to get rid of that. I'm not just going to hide that. I'm going to take your shame. And I'm going to take your hurt. And I'm going to take your difficult circumstances. And I'm going to take your sickness. And I'm going to take your brokenness. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to shine a light on it. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to take your brokenness and I'm going to take your weakness. And I'm going to use that very thing to bring about beauty through and in your life. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is a house of redemption. This house is a house of redemption. I look around and I see stories of redemption. 45 minutes ago, come on. Ricky, two years cancer free. Redemption. Ah. Oh. My heart's not going to take me down. But I'm going to overcome triple bypass surgery. And I'm going to be here worshiping God and step back into my calling. The challenge is great. This is huge. How do I take this thing and go to the next level, doctor? Taking things to a new height that they have never been, been in at that school. My job. I'm just looking around. I took a quick glance around and I'm just seeing stories of redemption. My job, it's just going a different direction than I thought and I am overcome. I am overwhelmed. But God has something in store and it's called redemption, a new job that you have laid out for me in advance. There are stories. This is a house of redemption. 
God has an idea in mind. He wants to transform mindsets in this place. He wants to transform brokenness. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to take the impossible and say possible. He wants to take empty vessels and fill us with the Holy Spirit. That is God's desire. And so Christ, we come to you. We approach the throne of grace with confidence today. And I pray that for every seeking heart, that you would fill us today with your Holy Spirit. I speak it, I declare it over this house. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.